Welcome to Authors Are Rock Stars, a podcast dedicated to YA lit and rock and music. I'm Michelle. And I'm Allison. And today we have a different kind of podcast for you. Yeah, this time I got to interview Michelle along with the fabulous author Jordan Dane. <laughs> yeah, it was different being on the other side of the microphone for this podcast, but it was a lot of fun. Well, you did an awesome job. Well, let's get to the interview with Jordan Dane and... And very talented audiobook narrator Michelle Ann Dunphy. We are sitting down today via Skype with Jordan Dane, author of, well, so many young adult and adult novels. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jordan. It is such a pleasure to be here with you and Michelle. Oh, so great. Thanks for taking the time. Well, today we'd like to focus on your two new releases, Indigo Awakening, which just came out from Harlequin Teen and is the first book in a series, as well as your new audiobook release, In the Arms of Stone Angels, which is narrated by someone we're all familiar with, our very own Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're very excited to talk to you today. Congratulations on these releases, Jordan. Could you kick off this interview by introducing these novels to our listeners? Yes. Indigo Awakening is my latest release, as you said, and it's a story about psychic kids on the streets of L.A. that are running away and being hunted by a fanatical group, a church group. And they fear that these kids are the next evolution of mankind and that they are afraid of these children. So these kids are the perfect victims. They can't tell anybody what's going on and why they're being hunted. They're just tra- tragic story, but of course filled with magical powers of psychic kids. Very cool. And Arms of Stone Angels, well, that was your first YA novel, right? Yes, it was. I actually love this story because it kind of came from my crime fiction side that I write my adult thrillers with. And it's a story that's a cold case murder mystery in the essence of it. It was set in Oklahoma where I lived at the time and there's a slight paranormal elements in that the character Brenna Nash uh, has an affinity with the dead and she always has since she's grown up. Uh, as a small kid, she just accepted them in her life. And so when she is confronted with witnessing a murder, she finds that the boy that's kneeling over the body is the first boy she's ever loved. And she is forced to uh, call 911 and it starts the whole pattern of him getting arrested. And she's forced to come back to the small town in Oklahoma where she is going back to take care of some business with her grandmother's house and she is forced into seeing these the, the small town where there, there's a bigoted sheriff and kids that knew the murdered girl and they hate her and they, it's a town full of hatred for this boy who's a half-breed Native American boy. And so she's turns out that she's the only friend this kid has and she has to figure out, did he actually do the, the killing or is he just a witness? It's so suspenseful. I love a good mystery. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it, it really is. It really is. Well... With Indigo Awakening, I have to ask, if you were an Indigo child, what would you want as your special ability? <laughs> well, the thing that I think is great that I've been, I'm working on the book two right now, and there's a kid in this thing that's a, a teleporter. And I have to say that that would be my, my favorite thing to be able to just pop in places without having to spend gas to drive over there. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, with the I, price of gas. Yeah. <laughs> and you can go vacation anywhere you want. You know, of course, I don't know about having the, the body to go along with it. But, you know, just think, popping into any location in the whole world just because you want to be there. I mean, that would be so cool. I agree. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. 
I would take that as well. Well, you have a large cast of characters in Indigo Awakening, and I know this question is like asking an author to pick her favorite child, but did you seem to gravitate towards any character in particular? You know, I, I've uh, there's more boys in this book, and I absolutely love being in the in a boy's head. And Gabriel, of course, was my number one love. Gabriel Stewart. He is the mystery runaway kid that Rain, the the young girl, finds when she's on the search for her missing brother who's escaped from a mental hospital and he's an indigo child as well. And so the church is after him. Uh, They think he's especially gifted, so he's very dangerous to them. But Gabriel is a mystery kid that's even far more dangerous than anyone had imagined. And he's been off of the believers, the church's radar for a reason. And anyway, he's he was my first love when I was into him. But then later, Rafael Santana, he is he has stolen my heart in such a big way. He's Aww. just such a street kid. He's Hispanic like I am. And he's just so broken. And he needs somebody to love him. And I just fell in love with this kid that I just feel like I have to keep telling his story over and over. But he's a quiet kid, but he's just the heart and blood of these indigo children. Wow, I love that. A lot of your books deal with some sort of paranormal or otherworldly element. What kind of research do you do to prepare for these worlds that you've created within our world? You know, I always love to have paranormal elements that feel almost like they could be real, that could be happening to anybody. And I actually looked into psychic abilities. I researched the indigo kids. uh, If you research indigo child on the internet, you are going to find millions upon millions of websites, these new age websites that believe these children really exist in our time. And they are the next evolution of mankind. They're highly gifted, intelligent teens that use their intuition rather than their their, their intellect is their first instinct, and they allow their brain, their their natural abilities of the human brain, which we only use a fraction of, they, they use all of it to, to get to feel things, and they're rebellious in nature, and all these wonderful things. So when you marry that research up with psychic abilities, and then I also wanted to show kids who were finding and discovering these powers all, you know, first to them and how it feels as it flows through their bodies. You know, it's just, it's just an amazing thing to marry up that research. So yes, I do quite a bit of research to make this all seem very real. Well, you did a fabulous job. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Of all the different worlds you've created, which one would you most like to live in if given a chance to teleport, like you said you wanted, into (laughs) one of your novels? You know, lately, I think I would love to live in the Stewart Estate, which is in the uh, Indigo Awakening books. It's a place that I've created, sort of like, I guess, a Hogwarts kind of place that Gabriel's uncle, Reginald Stewart, lives in. And it's in the mountains of the Bristol Mountains outside of LA. And I just imagined it to be this spectacular place. And so every room has got history and magic. And his uncle is also a Indigo warrior, an older version that has come before to protect the children that come after. And and it's just such a magical place to me. He's got a, a serenity room that's like a planetarium that he's used to meditate in. And 
<laughs> oh, it's just really cool. And in fact, on the the I've got a virtual tour going on right now, and I have a tour inside. I show pictures of the research I'd done to imagine these various rooms in the house, and 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 all this visual stuff just aids me in in making this all seem very real to me. And there's also a very cool castle in Germany called the Liechtenstein Castle. Mm-hmm. If you look that up, oh my God, it's fantastic. It's got this huge stone tower and on one side, and it just looks very ominous on the other side. I just absolutely fell in love with that image, and so I have it on my computer so I could look at it. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That is gorgeous. Well, you're an established author of adult fiction. What inspired the transition to young adult books, and what do you like best about writing for that audience? You know, I actually like still having a foot in both worlds because I find when I'm writing YA, I, I love, I've added paranormal elements, which I didn't have in my crime fiction stories and my thrillers. It was all about terrible criminals and ripped from the headline stories. And I still love that. I still find myself drawn to those stories. And I want to get back and write. After I finish this series, I'm going to try to work on a book that's a, a thriller because I like that really dark crime fiction world. But with the with the YA, oh my God, it's it's just magic. I guess it's because you get t- in touch with your inner child. And I tell a lot of stories in these YAs that come from real things that happen to me or in situations with my nieces and nephews, things that have happened to them and that I use them as lab rats. So. <laughs> <laughs> and do they like that? Do they know? <laughs> uh, yes, I always tell them when I put them in there. In fact, my niece, Dana, is an aspiring author and we work together Aww. from time to time on her stories as well as mine. And she's just a great brain to pick. But, you know, when she came up, we were actually doing Stone Angels together before she went off to college. And we, I would watch her and I would tell her that, you know, she'd, she'd have trouble, like, I don't know what to do with my hands when I'm standing here. And I would ask her why she's texting. And she would tell me all these cute answers and she doesn't realize how cute they are. And they ended up in the book. And uh, in fact, she she's a character in the book. I don't know if you remember, Michelle, when you were reading the story, but I actually put her real name in there. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I got her permission to do that, and she's in there. And, and I, I made her my uh, Brenna's bio lab partner who used magic, who did chanting magic to pop the, the brain of the frog out. <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> That is so funny. And you know, that brain that brain thing was actually me, except I didn't get extra credit. I, I really just, you know, knifed at that frog and the brain popped out whole, but the teacher looked at it and knew that I what I had done. Nice. <laughs> so that, those are both real stories and yeah. it was just kind of funny. <laughs> well, you just mentioned this in your answer. Some of the scenes in your novels get rather graphic. How do you keep yourself grounded when writing a particular gory scene? I know I had a hard time not getting the heebie-jeebies while reading In the Arms of Stone Angel. You know, I scare myself all the time. And (laughs) there was one time I was writing this scene and it was in a short story that I was doing and it's called Dark Kiss. Anyway, there's a scene with a Ouija board and it's in a warehouse and these kids, I mean, to tell you, I scared myself so bad. And I was living, I had moved down here to San Antonio by myself. My husband hadn't come down yet. And so I was, and all the neighbors know that I'm a writer and I had, I was, my house is next to a ravine and it was really grassy before they mowed it all down. And my neighbors would actually come up to me and say, you know, you could bury a body in there. And <laughs> 
and uh, so I actually would scare myself all the time. And I, and, you know, I want to know what your body, your reaction goes through. Like, what do you do? Do you use your heart? You know, what is my personal reaction when I get scared? And so I didn't, you know, get this. I would imagine myself walking upstairs and seeing a shadow at the top of the stairs being somebody, a dead person. Or looking in a mirror, you come, you know, you get up at night and you don't want to turn the lights on, but you see something in the back of you in a mirror and it, it is a face. I do that stuff all the time just to scare myself. <laughs> So, so that's the kind of realism that I want in my stories because I want readers to be up close and personal. But then I, I hold back a little bit because I don't want them to never read me again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're like making all those sacrifices for the readers. That's exactly that's noble of you. <laughs> Since Michelle mentioned In the Arms of Stone Angels, I'd like to turn the conversation over for a moment and talk about this audiobook. So Michelle, tell us about your experience. How did you find Brenna's voice for the audiobook and what was the whole process like? Well, Jordan's really awesome. And we sat down and we chatted for like quite a while before we we started recording. And she had a picture in mind of what she wanted for Brenna. And I read the first half of the book and had you know something in mind as well. And we kind of talked about it and found a like a middle ground kind of place for her. Then I went forth and recorded. And the great thing about this website that Jordan and I worked with, it's via Audible, is that I get to record the first 15 minutes and then Jordan gets a chance to listen to it before we go for it, you know, go ahead and record the rest of the book because it's, oh. you know, what, eight hours and 48 minutes of finished audio. Yeah, it's <laughs> a bit of a commitment, yes. yes. <laughs> well, so Jordan, what was it like for you getting a chance to actually choose your own narrator for this book? You know, I went through, I had people that were submitting narrations and there was some a professionalism about Michelle that I just absolutely loved. I mean, you can go out to her website. She has a presence all over the place and thought, well, I, I would like to work with somebody who has that kind of professional attitude about their work. And also just hearing her voice. I mean, it was pretty incredible. The thing that when we talked on the phone, I told her, I said, you know, you have a great teen voice for the, for the snarky kind of teen, but this is a girl who's really been hit with something tragic in her life. And she is, I see her as a, a brooder loner kind of person who has an inner voice that's snarky, but not necessarily that that translate to her outer voice. And a lot of t- kids are like that. They're, they're withdrawn on the outside. You don't think, you don't even understand the gem that they are on the inside. But what, what, what Michelle captured was so amazing, even far exceeded the expectation that I had. And I, I was really glad that I trusted her in doing this because she brought nuances to the voice and she totally got the narrative. And when I was going through, I was actually giddy. I was laughing when <laughs> when I'd hear her catch the humor of these internal voices and she really got into the, the character. She became Brenna in my head. It, it's just totally amazing. I say it's a stunning performance, but I that is no lie. She made me, she reminded me why I love audiobooks. Oh, that is so cool. Shucks, I'm all embarrassed <laughs> now. Yay, it is so true. Michelle, it is true. She's fabulous. Well, Michelle, what was the most challenging part about recording such a dramatic book? Not reading it all in advance is actually (laughs) the hardest part. Usually, and most audiobook narrators will tell you, they read the book three times before they start recording. Mm -hmm. They read it through just once as, you know, for pleasure. And then they read it through again, trying to get more of the plot points down. And then they read it through it again and they highlight like crazy and indicate which character voices go where and whatnot. I did not do that for this book. Because I did not want to know what happened. I wanted to, I got to a point where I was just, the mystery was getting so intense that I decided that it wasn't worth losing Brenna's like natural, you know, discovery along the way that I just 
went forth and read it cold. And you know, sometimes it made it for a little bit more difficult that I had to go back and edit, but I think it's one of the reasons why Brenna's voice comes through so strongly is that I was discovering with Brenna all this creepy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's so oh. cool. You know, I have never heard you say that. That is amazing. And and that is so true. And I think that's what, you know, I picked up on in the, when I heard it was, man, your acting was amazing in this because you captured that, those moments where she was scared and vulnerable. And that was the part that I was really hoping that someone, you know, would find in her because she, it's not just reading words. It, it's not just reading a story like you're reading a bedtime story to somebody else. It's actually acting. Yeah, well, and for those of you who haven't listened to the book yet, it go- bounces back between Brenna's first person and then other characters in third. And so it, that it made the third person parts and the other character parts a little bit more difficult because then I'd have to go back and like make sure I was checking my voices to make sure everything stayed the same because I gave a pretty wide range of voices, um, yes. especially for some of these male characters, which was so much fun. Um, <laughs> I really like doing Joe's voice. It was the deepest. That's the deepest I can go. And (laughs) I was having a good time. But I feel like it added so much to Brenna that it was worth the little bit of struggle that it was to keep up with, you know, the other voices and the other parts of the book. That is such an interesting process. And it just sounds like the results were fabulous. So congratulations to both of you. So cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, It's such a positive project through uh, ACX, the Audible site. It's it's like self-publishing a book. You can go out there if you have your own audio rights. It's such a cool thing for an author. But I'm finding, too, that uh, publishers are going through there. So there is a whole industry of people that are discovering this process. Oh, that's so interesting. So, So let's backtrack. So the book was published by Harlequin, right? Yeah. And then you had your own audio rights, so you got all the creative control over that. You know, it was a kind of an accident, actually. We were negotiating the thing, and then they realized afterwards that they didn't have the audio rights, and it was the only one they didn't, so they made sure that all the books going forward, they had them. Oh, that's funny. And so I thought, well, I'm not letting this languish. I'm going to go out and set this up myself just to see how ACX worked. And so I posted how this process worked on a couple of blogs, the Kill Zone that I'm involved in, and also Adrenaline, which is my dark YA blog. And uh, and it's spelled weird. All the E's in Adrenaline are threes. Okay. <laughs> After lead speak, but anyway, it's a hacker language. <laughs> but but anyway, I posted this because I wanted always like sharing authors what I've learned and share the, the the knowledge so that other people can explore it as well. And if you have audio rights to your book, you know, don't just let them sit around. You know, put them with a good narrator and and anybody who's who's got you know the talent like Michelle Mann. You know, set set yourself up and and get some websites out there and and go to town. It's it can be for everybody. Yeah, and it's really fun because I got to have more creative control as well just because I wasn't working with a director and, uh, you know, the publishing house and having six people sit in on the session with me. It was just me and my microphone. And then once I decided things were worth it, I sent them off to people that I had hired to make the process sound, you know, make it sound finished and polished. That is really cool to hear about that process. And so let's give a plug, you know, for so our listeners know how to get this. It's available on Audible. Audible and Amazon and iTunes. All right. So you heard it, listeners. Go grab it. All right. So let's turn it back over and talk to you, Jordan, about your life as a writer. You mentioned on your website that you didn't always want to be a writer and that you were a reader first. What were some of the books that were particularly influential to you growing up? You know, as a kid, I really got into westerns because I was into horses, lived in Texas, and I was a big Louis L'Amour, Zane Grey, you know, I'm dating myself here. But. <laughs> oh, no, and then they're pretty still much- popular. <laughs> Pretty 
much I would read everything in my elementary school on that had horses, fantasy stories. It just didn't matter if there was a horse in it. And I actually read every single book they had. That's how small the library was. And so I started branching out. And, and then I realized as I was getting older and, and reading that it, was, it wasn't so much the horses after my childhood got into my teen years. And I realized I liked who, what was riding the horses. So... <laughs> So I ended up getting into, you know, understanding the protagonists of the story, and and I liked the brooding male characters, and so I got into crime fiction that way, primarily through thrillers like Robert Ludlum, the espionage thrillers like the Born Identity books. Those are, uh, he's an amazing guy, he's deceased now, but what a talent. So he got me, it was the first time I'd ever read a book that uh, showed me the pacing of thrillers and actually made me aware as a reader of the beautiful structure that it is and how page-turning novel is amazing. So he, he kind of made me aware of the of the author thing from you know a really critical standpoint. But that's what I had gotten into. I just, my comfort read, believe it or not, is crime fiction. It sounds like it would be gory and creepy. But in, the, in a crime fiction world, I think we read it because there is justice that mm-hmm. usually comes at the end of that book and you have a little bit more control, unlike real life life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great true. point. That's very comforting. <laughs> uh, well, last year you published a book about writing called One Author's Aha Moments. Now, if our listeners really want all the goods, they should check the book out, of course. But can you share one piece of advice for aspiring writers? Well, I actually love telling people just just write. Even if uh, even young kids who are thinking about becoming writers, you would not believe when I go to signings, I get some really young kids that are you know, maybe, you know, as young as eight and 10 years old that tell me they're writing their first book. And so I always tell them, I I love sitting down and talking to them. If I can hold them aside and sit and talk to them, that's what I do. But anyway, I like telling them that even if they are just thinking about writing, to have a journal, do something where you're writing your thoughts down because all writing is very visual. You see that written, you know, anytime you walk into a room that you think is special, write down your thoughts as you walk in there, write down your physical reactions to things, anything that gets that creative side of your brain working. And then I have your have a day job, do a daily word count. Give yourself something very attainable, like maybe 500 words a day. But there is a motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, who recently just died, but he would touch me with his point that he wrote his nonfiction book doing it a page a day. Not that if anything in your life is important, that's what it is. Make time for it. That's so true. And I love the page a day thing. I mean, it starts somewhere. Yeah, it's so it's so simple. It's just a step. And it and if you think about it, it that could be said for anything. You know, exercise, diet. <laughs> it's true. You just got to get off the couch or yeah, on the exactly. computer and type the words and everything. Well, that is so inspiring. I love it, Jordan. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was wonderful to chat with you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you both for having me. It's been very special. Thank you again to Jordan Dane for coming on the show. And thank you to my co-host, Michelle, for being an interviewee in addition to an interviewer. That was so much fun to hear about the audiobook. So listeners, I know you want to pick up that audiobook and listen to Michelle reading In the Arms of Stone Angels. So go get it today, Amazon, Audible, or iTunes. Enjoy, and we'll catch you next time on another Authors Are Rockstars.